It seems kind of hopeless right now, but you're going to figure this out. This is pretty debilitating. I'm able to turn my pain into purpose. There are people out in the world that do understand what you're going through. Welcome to Major Pain. I'm your host, Jesse Mercury, and this week we'll be speaking with returning guest Eric about the medical crisis that almost claimed his life. Eric first appeared on the podcast a little over a year ago in an episode titled, I've Passed Over 400 Kidney Stones and They Just Keep Coming, that was first published on March 9th, 2022. Eric just survived an emergency surgery where a large amount of his intestines and colon were removed due to severe diverticulitis. I found an article from Yale Medicine that does a great job of explaining diverticulitis. It's a little on the longer side, but I think it provides some good context for the story we're going to hear today. So this is from Yale Medicine. No matter how hard we try, we cannot escape some of the natural side effects of aging. One of these is years of wear and tear on our intestines from eating, absorbing, and processing food. To push along digested food, muscles along the colon wall contract, applying pressure in a wave-like motion along the full length of the colon. This helps move waste to the rectum, our signal that we need to find a bathroom. Over time, repeated and sometimes uneven pressure, due to constipation for instance, weakens the lining of the colon. Without its strong elasticity, the lining can bulge through the colon wall, forming a sac or pouch, a condition called diverticulosis. The technical term for these small pouches is diverticula. Most adults over age 60 have these pouches, which usually cause no problems. However, if a problem develops in one of these sacs, the result can be a painful and dangerous condition called diverticulitis. Diverticulitis can bring abdominal pain, fevers, and nausea, among other symptoms. Usually, diverticulitis can be resolved with mild treatments, including temporary diet changes and sometimes antibiotics. Most people with diverticulitis recover completely. But, at its most severe, a pouch can burst open, spilling fecal matter directly into a person's bloodstream. This results in an immediate risk of developing a blood infection called sepsis, which can be life-threatening. So that's a little longer than the uh, explanations of diseases I usually read on the podcast, but I thought that this one was particularly apt because that's what happened to Eric. He went into full sepsis and was minutes away from dying if he had not had immediate surgery. Eric woke up eight hours later with a 10-inch incision in his stomach, a tube coming out of his right side with a negative volume ball attached, a catheter, and a colostomy bag. According to Medical News Today, a colostomy bag is a plastic bag that collects fecal matter from the digestive tract through an opening in the abdominal wall called a stoma. So Eric's surgery team had created this stoma and had essentially disconnected his intestines so that his waste would now empty in, into a colostomy bag attached to his stomach. Shockingly, this is actually reversible. Once Eric's wound heals, he will be able to go back in for robotic surgery to reattach his digestive tract. But at that point, he will no longer need a colostomy bag. During his recovery, he is using a wound vac, which he'll tell us all about, which is helping his wound to heal from the bottom out. This was all very new stuff to me. I'd never talked to anyone about any sort of a procedure like this before on the podcast. And of course, this is all very new for Eric as well. And something that was threaded throughout this conversation was his feelings about colostomy bags and the stigma attached to them and how his thoughts on that have changed now that he actually has one. And that was a message that he really wanted to share and one that I'm excited to highlight on the podcast today. We also discuss how close he came to dying, how one decision saved his life. And this whole experience was also informed by the recent passing of Eric's father and the way that that recent trauma very much informed his mindset as he went into this emergency surgery. 
So this is a fascinating, personal, and very informative conversation. I learned a ton. It's definitely going to be a little bit graphic today. So if you are squeamish, be forewarned that we definitely talk about several things that might be upsetting to you. But it's also a story about gratitude, about how grateful Eric is to be alive, to have the resources that he needed to get this life-saving medical care, to have a partner that was willing to support him and stand by him through this horrific event. So it's a very unique discussion compared to what we've talked about in the past on this podcast, and I'm very grateful to Eric to share all this with us so openly and honestly, and it makes for a great episode that I'm excited to share with you today. Before we get to that, I have some news to share. I'd love to dive into the reactions to last week's episode. And I also finally, finally have some updates on my own health journey. I'm actually fresh home from the hospital today. I went in this morning, finally, for my punch biopsy for small fiber neuropathy. So I am covered in holes. (laughs) This was a little different than I expected it to be. So just to fill you in on the context here, last August... I had a full dysautonomia panel done, including a tilt table test, and they discovered that I had an abnormal sweat response. So they run these chemicals through this band on my wrist and my ankle and test how long it takes for me to sweat when they're basically burning my skin. And I had a delayed sweat response on my left arm. And according to one of my doctors, that can be a sign of something called small fiber neuropathy. Not to be confused with peripheral neuropathy, small fiber neuropathy is actually a form of dysautonomia. It is most common in people with diabetes, and it's actually a form of nerve damage, essentially, one that can be seen through something called a punch biopsy, where they take a little piece of your skin and look at it under a microscope, and they can look at the fibers, the nerve fibers in your skin, and if uh, nerve fibers have been shortened due to repeated damage, then they can diagnose you with small fiber neuropathy. In my workup with my allergist for mast cell activation syndrome, he has told me that he's actually seen a correlation between these two diseases. There hasn't really been any studies done about this yet, so it's all sort of conjecture. But my personal guess would be that, you know, with mast cell activation syndrome, your mast cells are constantly releasing mediators into your bloodstream, like histamine and a whole bunch of other things that I can never remember. And my guess would be that when those mediators reach toxic levels, it can start to damage your nerve fibers. That's my guess, and potentially lead to small fiber neuropathy. And small fiber neuropathy explains a lot of my symptoms better than mast cell activation would, you know, a lot of the tingly, burny pains that I have, and even my inability sometimes to use my legs. I've actually seen an article online from a writer who has small fiber neuropathy talking about how his legs would just turn off and he couldn't get them to turn on again. I was like, yeah, this sounds like me. So, of course, it took eight months to get in for this test. Eight months. Eight months. So frustrating. (laughs) But I did it today. I finally did it. So the punch biopsy itself was not exactly what I expected. It's just like a little plastic tool with a metal uh, ring on the bottom that is sharp that you just push down into your skin. And then once they've made that cut, they lift the skin and snip it with scissors and put it in a little vial and ship it off to Texas, I think they said, where they can actually interpret the results. Of course, they numb you before they do this. So, you know, lidocaine shots. And I had five different punches taken. So they, you know, fill your skin with lidocaine on those five spots, take this bunch punch biopsy out, bandage it all up. So I've just got, I'm covered in bandages right now. <laughs> but I'm, I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled that I finally had this test done. It's going to be weeks before we get results. And I will obviously keep you updated. But, you know, 
I'm kind of crossing my fingers. I would love to see a positive result <laughs> because that's the chronic illness life. You just want something on your test results to show evidence of what you've been experiencing. My continued workup with mast cell activation syndrome is going really, really well, actually. We actually just added in another medication. It's called uh, Montelicast, I think that's how you say it, also known as Singular. It's an asthma medication that blocks a different type of uh, inflammatory receptor than the other medications I've been on, and I do feel like it's been helping a little bit. The big thing I've noticed a difference in is my post-exertional uh, pain that I've been getting. You know, people often talk about post-exertional malaise, but for me, it's like if I do too much exercise, which I'm still so grateful to be exercising at all since starting this mast cell medication, but if I do too much exercise, then I will have really intense full body pain for days. And if if the mast cell activation diagnosis holds, then the theory would be that by exercising too much, putting too much strain on my body, my mast cells are activating and releasing all these mediators and making me feel like trash. And that can happen from, you know, eating too much, eating too little, eating the wrong thing, forgetting to take my medication, staying up too late. I have to keep my body as stable as possible. So since I've been doing better and starting to exercise more, one of the things I've been struggling with the most is figuring out how much exercise can I do. And I keep hitting walls and it's so frustrating. So when I started this new medication, it felt like that wall moved and I could now do a little bit more exercise. Or I could sometimes go on, you know, like a short jog without pain the next day. And that was so exciting. So of course I got into my head, you know, this is working. I'm going to try to push it a little bit. And it's, you know, coming into summer up here in Seattle. It's beautiful right now. And one of the best places to go to, you know, go for a walk or go for a jog in Seattle is Green Lake. If you live in Seattle, you know, and if you haven't been here, come to Seattle, go check out Green Lake. <laughs> so I actually went on a walk jog around the entirety of Green Lake, bolstered by this new medication. And this is about three miles. This is way longer than I should have been going. <laughs> Generally, when I go out for a jog, it's between like 10 and 20 minutes, maybe a mile. But it was just such a beautiful day. And I'm just like, I haven't done this ever. And I just want to do it. So I went for it and I made it. And it was absolutely glorious. And then I spent about five days recovering, having a pretty rough flare up, which, you know, is so frustrating. <laughs> but I'm, I'm taking the win. I'm taking the win. I made it around Green Lake. I definitely, you know, I talked to my doctor and he said, don't do that. That's too much. <laughs> uh, the way that my body reacted to it was confirmation that that is too much. But I have it in the back of my mind now that I really want to try to work up to that if I can to be able to, you know, do a walk jog or even just a full jog around Green Lake someday and not get sick afterwards. We'll see. Could be possible. Last week, we spoke with Raven on the podcast about their experiences with cyclic vomiting syndrome, a fantastic episode. And we got a bunch of responses. Let's take a look at what people are saying about last week's episode. This is from Christina on Instagram, who appeared on the podcast on the episode about hypertrophic olivary degeneration. Christina says, the trauma of the IV stick and re-stick. I am with you on this. I naturally have deep rolling and collapsing veins. Phlebotomists always tell me to drink more water. Um, okay, but that is not the problem. The scene you described was almost identical to what happened to me before my brain surgery. It is terrifying. Thank you for sharing your story. Over on TikTok, I made a post discussing how Raven was misdiagnosed with illicit drug abuse. And another of our amazing previous guests, Caitlin Paget, para-writer, comments, I resonate so much to this part of their story. I have had anorexia on my chart. I never had an eating disorder, only gastroparesis. And I can't stress enough that having an eating disorder on my chart shouldn't have caused the treatment I had. 
because nobody deserves that. So wrong. All my love to Raven. I hope they are having better treatment from medical professionals. And we also got a comment on Spotify, which I forgot I had even enabled. I didn't even remember that it was possible to comment on episodes on Spotify. I don't know if I've ever even mentioned that on the podcast itself. This is from Lalfi Christens. Amazing episode, incredibly informative, funny, yet sad at the same time. Thank you, Raven, for speaking up and sharing your story. I won't read all the comments we got on the episode, but thank you to everyone who is listening and engaging with the podcast. It means so much to be sharing these stories and to hear from people that they are resonating with them. I love hearing from listeners, so if you have something you want to share, you can email me, majorpainpodcast at gmail.com. You can leave a comment on any episode of the podcast on our website, majorpainpodcast.com, or on Spotify, which is something that I just realized. And then I also post about every episode on YouTube, TikTok, and Instagram, all at Major Pain Podcast. And I would love your support on those platforms as well. I've been really pushing myself recently with my extra energy to up my game on uh, on social media. And what I've started doing is creating short videos about a minute long, in which I try to summarize the person's story that we're interviewing on the podcast that week, and also include a clip of the person telling their story. I think it's making for more engaging content on TikTok, YouTube, and Instagram. I definitely feel like engagement has been up on those posts, which is really exciting. Uh, you know, I obviously it's all in support of the podcast, and the podcast is the thing that I have the most passion for. But I know that a lot of people that see our content on social media aren't necessarily going to listen to every episode. So being able to make engaging content that works on that platform as a standalone piece of content, I think is really important. And I've been trying to figure out how to do that for a really long time. And I'm finally feeling happy with what I'm doing. So if you're not following us on social media, TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube, I'm real excited and very proud of what I've been posting there recently. And like I said, all three of them, just search for at Major Pain Podcast. If you're enjoying this podcast, we definitely need your support. I've listed all the great ways to do so on our website at majorpainpodcast.com support. I'll keep it brief this week and just say thank you so much to our community of listeners supporting the show on Patreon. Extra special thank you to our Patreon producers, Steve Cavanaugh, Chris Fowler, Ensign Q, Trish O'Brien, and Hipster Leia. Head to patreon.com slash majorpainpodcast to learn more. And don't forget to check out Rare Patient Voice, an amazing program where you can be paid to participate in research studies and surveys. Use our link, rarepatientvoice.com slash majorpainpodcast, and you will also be supporting this show when you sign up. Keep in mind that my guest and I are not medical professionals, so please do not take any medical action based off what you hear on this podcast without first consulting your doctor. And with that, we'll jump right into our amazing episode with our returning guest, Eric, about this medical crisis that almost claimed his life. Eric, welcome back to the show. It's great to see you again. Great to see you again. Thank you for having me on. Absolutely. So I I understand you've been going through a lot, but before we get into that, Let's just remind our listeners that your first episode, you came in, came on and talked about your chronic kidney stones, extremely memorable episode, some pretty horrific things that you've lived through. How have, uh, how have the kidney stones been since we last st- talked? Uh, the kidney stones, I'm at 466 now. Wow, I don't remember what the number was last time. I, I, I know I was in the, I was in, I think I was in the 450s. Wow. When we spoke last, uh, with this latest ordeal, I, uh, two weeks after I got home, I passed a kidney stone. Yeah, that that was horrific. 
So you were going through this other new thing that we'll fill in the listeners about, and you passed the kidney stone on top of that. Yeah. Yikes. Yeah. And just, wow. Yeah. <laughs> My God, that's awful. Yeah. 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 How that all started. So one of my urologists, funny enough, about 18 years ago, said, hey, just so you know, you have the starting of diverticulitis, you know, which is the, the holes in your colon. And that's where I, I can't have seeds or popcorn because the stuff gets caught in there and it can get infected. Hmm. So di- my mom had diverticulitis. Everyone on my dad's side, including my dad, had diverticulitis. Uh, but, you know, this was told to me 18 years ago. I didn't think anything of it. So April 17th, the week before, I thought I had a kidney stone in my bladder and it's just one of the worst ones to date and my wife is like no something else is going on Uh, and i have a fever i can't eat uh the pain is excruciating i mean it's just wow uh then on the 17th which was a monday of april around 4 a.m i went to pee going oh come on please get out please just this stupid kidney stone, get out of me. And I came out of the bathroom and I started to fall and I caught myself on the bookshelf and just kind of did a controlled fall. And I went on the floor, my wife wakes up. She's like, you're going, you're, you're going to the hospital. Do you want to go ER or ambulance? I was like, I'll be fine. I'll be (laughs) fine. Just, just give me a pillow. (laughs) And so she gives me a pillow and she goes, okay, you have a few minutes and then we're making a decision. Like, <laughs> then I realize I can't stand up at all. I say, okay, I need, I need an ambulance. Uh, and it's always very difficult for us to accept that. Like, oh man, I'm at the point where I can't do anything for myself. I can't stand. I can't walk. So ambulance comes they pack me in. I'm in the back alone and things are getting really bad. I can tell like things are going really bad for me. Uh, and my thoughts are, I don't want to die in the back of an ambulance. And then, uh, they get me out and they, they wheel me in and I know I'm in trouble. And I had gone into uh, septic shock. And everything was starting to shut down fast. And suddenly I have like a a CT, all this stuff done very fast. And then they come in, the doctor, several, many doctors that come in and say, uh, you have to have surgery now, uh, as in right now, or you're done. This is bad. This, This is really bad. And I, I'm out of it and like, well, what's going on? Like, uh, your entire intestines are infected. You've gone full septic. Uh, if you would have gone into the waiting room, the ER waiting room, you would have died in the waiting room. Wow. You would have just, and that would have been that. And then they're starting to talk about, okay, we're going to do the surgery right now. You may wake up with a ventilator and your hands tied to the bed. 
uh, just so you know, which is terrifying because my father, who had passed in October, that's what they did to my dad. He had a ventilator. He was awake. He was cognizant, but they tied his hands to the bed because he kept trying to like scratch his throat or pull it out. And, you know, I, I watched that for two weeks until my dad passed. So I have that going through my head. And then, of course, they do the, just so you know, you're probably going to make it through this, but there's a chance you may not. We don't know how bad it is in there. Okay, good night, you know? <laughs> wow. Yeah. So you, you don't even have like a second to process that. They just put you under right after telling you that information. I know it was a, it was some time, hmm. but very jumbled for sure, me. Sure, Like I have these snippets and one snippet was I turned to my wife and I said, I don't want to die. And like, she's trying to not cry in front of me, which was rough. Everything for me was very quick. The, the snippets I have, I was about to go into the OR and they're just shoving medications in me. And then I was in the OR. I said, can you get on the, the operating table by yourself? And I said, no. And then they lifted me and put me on the, the table. And that was, then I woke up about eight hours later ish. I, I think I, I, I'm not sure about that. And, uh, with a brand new colostomy bag, uh, a 10 inch incision dead center of my stomach right next to the colostomy bag. And then a tube with this like squeeze, it looks like a squeezy ball coming out the right side of me. Uh, it's called, it's a negative volume ball and a catheter the whole nine yards and it's just like what happened mm. and like well you have you have severe case of diverticulitis everything was infected we had to remove a bunch of your intestines and part of your colon wow and so here's your colostomy bag uh, 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 oh god <sighs> but this is all reversible you got very lucky so once this incision heals, I uh, will be able to get the robotic surgery to reconnect everything, mm -hmm. which, which is great. But this incision is a real monster. And there's uh, negative spaces at the bottom of it. And so it started leaking the day after I, got, I was released. So it was like blood and pus starting to leak out of my stomach next to the colostomy bag. And you're just like, what, <laughs> what else can go wrong? And then, uh, we had to go to the ER, which I, I'm, I'm not a fan of. And then, uh, they start popping the staples out like it's nothing. And, uh, when they removed that negative volume squeezy ball thing on the side, they just pulled it out of me like a lawnmower and it, it goes through your entire intestines. What happens with these big incisions? I didn't know any of this. This is all new to me. And like this wound vac, I, I didn't know these existed. Like no idea this thing was in the world. So 
have like at the bottom of the incision are these holes. Well, there's one really big hole. It's getting smaller. It's about, it was about this big. About like, um, uh, like that's what bigger than a quarter, like a inch across. Yeah. And it went four inches deep. Hmm. And so at the bottom it, uh, of that hole, the, the, the skin is together, but it's just like a hole in your stomach. And you want it to uh, heal from the bottom up. Mm-hmm. Uh, because if it does top down, you can get infected very easily and all that stuff. So they started packing and unpacking the wound. And we had to do that three or four times a day for a couple of weeks. And that's really gross. It doesn't hurt when you stuff it or pull it out because of the nerve endings, but you're aware of it. Mm. You're aware of the pressure. We have a home care nurse. We had to get one. He's amazing. My, my, my nurse, my home care nurse is, he's wow. He's, he's a great guy. Uh, and then I have to go to wound care clinic on top of that. Uh, once a week, I go there tomorrow and so they were doing the packing and unpacking for a couple of weeks. And then, uh, they decided to put me on this wound vac and it's by 3M. And it's one of those things they make sure, you know, 3M is in charge and they call you all the time and we're getting bills already. It's insane. The amount of money that we've had to pay already is phenomenal and that's with insurance i had the surgery on april 17th and then by friday everyone had signed off for me to go home and we just needed a colostomy bag care but our insurance decided to keep me for an extra four days because they wanted to see if they could get home health care but the insurance is closed on the weekends and they shut down work at like noon on a Friday. So they kept me for just basically four extra days and charged us, of course, for staying in the hospital when everyone like, no, you're, you're supposed to go home. Just, just go home. I, I, I can't just go home. And I, I, I couldn't uh, get out of bed on my own. Uh, I couldn't walk. Uh, I, I still use a walker. This has affected my life the most out of everything I've gone through. Because with the kidney stones, you know, a couple days after I've passed one, I'm getting back to normal. Mm-hmm. And here I am at about seven weeks, something, whatever it is, April 17th. And I can get out of bed on my own. I, c- I finally just started dressing myself which is like a huge thing. And, and you learn a lot about people and about yourself when you can't dress yourself, you know, it's humiliating and it, it takes its toll on you psychologically and you get depressed and you're like, I can't even put a shirt on. I can't lift my arms mm. or anything like that. And then when you look, when you get your shirt off and you look down and it's like the worst stuff imaginable, there's, you have such drastic 
weight loss that, you know, like you have no tone whatsoever to your body. And then this 10 inch incision with this device connected to it. And it's a clear tube. So you see all the junk coming out of the wound and going into this clear canister. It, it's really gross. Yeah. Or, to me, it is. Is that is that what's going into the wound vac itself? I'm also unfamiliar with the wound vac. I'd love to hear what what does that uh, yeah. look like and how does that work? Okay, so this is the wound vac. Oh wow. Yeah, this is thirty thousand dollars. Wow, it's like a yep. canister sitting on the on the counter with a tube connected to it, and that tube is connected to you. Yeah, so it's about eight feet, and it goes all the way up to right here. Right on your stomach. Yeah, uh, about two or three inches below my uh, belly button. Hmm. And so what you see here is, uh, I know it's it's um, on the side. I have to keep it vertical because this is the suction. And so it pulls all this stuff. It looks like crystals. Yeah. So that's like blood and pus and stuff like that. Not to be gross, but it's just what it is. This is connected to the wound that needs to heal from the bottom out. Yep. Okay, so it's basically just like sucking out all the the fluid, blood, and pus to kind of keep that wound clean so it can continue to heal as it's making its way from the inside out. And uh, the, the other big reason is since that's a hole in me, that's it, it was four inches, now it's two inches. So it, I'm healing quite quick. Yeah. Uh, I'm surprised by that, which is nice to hear because this is not fun, but it pulls the skin up from the bottom of that hole because you want to heal bottom up, not top down. Yeah. Wow. So it's pulling all the skin, everything like that in this hole up to the surface. I'm going to have a gnarly, gnarly scar, uh, which is fine. Whatever. It is uncomfortable. Uh, and you do feel when the suction is turned off and when it, when they turn it on, you feel that pull. And then, uh, of course my cat thinks the tube is a toy <laughs> and she's always trying to like bat at it. Luckily 3M does have a 24 hour, seven day a week, um, helpline. And last Sunday I had alarms going off constantly on this thing. And I had to call him three times and I had to like reset the whole thing, get new canisters, all that. And then on top of that, I have to deal with a colostomy bag and I can't do it on my own yet because I can't bend over. Yeah. And so my wife, who is an angel, takes care of it for me. I can't bend at all. And you realize how much you miss out when you can't bend. Yeah. It's a never think about until you can't did you say may 17th was when this happened uh april 17th april 17th okay and it's now june 7th so we're getting yeah. you know 10 days away from the two-month mark yeah. um so once this wound heals you're going to go back in for surgery to reconnect your intestines yeah wow yeah yeah it's uh weird <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah I don't know. It, it it all banks on how fast I heal. Because you can choose if you want to do the wound vac 
or if you want to do the 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 stuffing the packing and unpacking if you do the packing and unpacking it's on average about six months if you do the wound vac i'm probably going to be off this machine in two to four weeks hmm. so clearly we're going to take the expensive route of course but the fast route yeah because you know i, I want to poop out of my butt <laughs> i want to have control because the one thing with the colostomy bag you, you do fart because the stoma the stoma is a butthole right there it, it's a legitimate butthole and the stoma being the hole where the colostomy bag is going into your stomach yeah so uh you have the bag the bag goes over the stoma if you, you don't have the bag on it the stoma is just out in the wind mm. uh so you have the bag go over and there are dozens of different bags clear not clear ones with vents uh we like the ones with vents uh because uh colostomy bags can blow up um they fill with gas and if you don't have a vent and you don't burp it, it could pop on you. Mm. Uh, I've been terrified of that. So we use the ones with vents and they have a charcoal filter in the vent, but sometimes you'll, you'll fart and you have, you have no idea until it's happening and everyone looks at you and like, I, I can't control it. Yeah. And do they surgically create the stoma when they, uh, yeah. do, when they do the surgery and install this colostomy bag? Yeah. Wow. So basically, like, everything you eat is just moving through you into this colostomy bag without any control of yours. So until you have this surgery done to reconnect your intestines, you won't have any control. Uh, yeah. So I cannot control when I poop yeah. at all. But I can feel it. I, I still have the same sensations that you normally do. I just, I have to get graphic. So you know how, like when, when you've been constipated for a little bit and then all of a sudden your body's like, all right, it's time to go. Let's do this. And you can feel your colon and stuff like that, that pressure. And you're like, Ooh, yeah, I got, I got to get to the bathroom. I have that sensation and I have it down there, but comes out this stoma wow. and I do have the same sensations when i do go i do have uh, a feeling of relief like em I'm, I'm emptied but i have zero control when it happens the weird factor is you know i have this colostomy bag because at first they did not tell me it was temporary or they, they they probably did but i just didn't hear it uh so i thought my life was over like i i can't leave the house mm stuff like that like it, it's a done deal uh you're, you're stuck home and you're gonna smell terrible all the time and you can't control it and it's just gonna shoot out of this bag on your stomach the surgery happened on monday and they didn't give me any information until friday like what a colostomy bag really is and stuff like that but knowing it's reversible is great but knowing what i know now if this is a permanent thing it's not that bad wow and the people that have them for life you would never know there's all sorts of stuff that's out there that uh, protects them and keeps them down my wife went overboard and bought a lot of stuff because 
we have to travel on Thursdays to the wound care clinic. Uh, and you get either all sorts of like specialty pillows for seat belts, stuff like that. Uh, and you go, oh, okay, there, there's like an, a market for this. And then there's dozens and dozens of different bags. Oh, okay. Okay. I, I do want to like poop normally. I really do. But if this was permanent, you know, it's not that bad. I don't have to ever sit again hmm. for a bathroom run. The way you clean things, you, you have a container that it goes into and all that. And I would probably stand to do it. Some people that do it on their own, they actually use the toilet. They like hover above the toilet and empty the bag into the toilet. I'm like, nah, that's, there's too much distance. <laughs> Have you spent any time thinking about how close you came to death? Because yes. you, you had this choice between an ER visit or an ambulance ride. And if you'd gone the ER route, you, they said that you would have died in the ER in the yeah, waiting yeah. room. So you were close. I mean, one decision saved your life. It plays every day. Every day I think about it. Uh, probably every hour. And I'm still messed up from it. Uh, it's given me extreme nightmares. Uh, some form of PTSD. Uh, and I think that's one reason why I'm so... Like, I, I keep, you notice how I'm always looking over at my wound back. Uh, I'm paranoid. Mm. Uh, yeah, I think about it a lot. Because uh, that's the most scared I've been for myself. And my dad had just passed in October. And all this stuff had gone on. We've become financially secure. And my first, while this was going on, um, like the ambulance ride, stuff like that, I it was just, I don't want to die. I don't want to die. I need to make sure the family's taken care of. I need to make sure my wife is good. I need to make sure the grandson is good. I don't want to die. Uh, and, and that is just on, on repeat. And uh, you're just terrified. And you, uh, for me, uh, I was so sick. I couldn't move uh, at one point. I just I couldn't lift my arms uh, because it gone full septic, uh, which is as close to death as you, as one can get. And they pump you full of antibiotics and then they had to remove so much of my intestines. And it looks like uh, what they said is it looked like someone had shot me with like buckshot in my stomach. Mm. I had thousands of these little holes that caught bacteria and made me sick. It does explain a few things throughout the last couple of years because I've been having some stomach issues, but I did not put two and two together. I always thought it was a kidney stone. My wife's best friend said, it's actually fortunate that I collapsed and was taken in an ambulance because if I would have gone in two or three days before, I would have just sworn up and down it was a bad, it was a kidney stone doing this. And they would have just looked at my kidneys. They wouldn't have taken a CT of my stomach. Oh, may, may, I mean, there's a chance, but it's doubtful because I would just say, oh, it's a kidney stone. Can you give me some Flomax? 
and Permidium to help me pass this stone. And they, okay, I can't get, get out. Then I would have died. Yeah. So it's this weird thing. Going septic means that you have an infection that gets into your bloodstream. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. So yeah. you just have like full body infection, like your blood is infected. Uh, with bacteria and and you have to just go on like hardcore i'm assuming like intravenous antibiotics while they're also doing this surgery to remove some of this uh intestine that has been destroyed by diverticulitis yep wow. uh when you, go, when you go septic your blood's infected and your organs are becoming infected okay yeah i didn't even think about that so and that means every single organ so I was at the point where it was going to start affecting my organs, which means hopefully the antibiotics work or I die. It, it was one or the other. Wow. Luckily, because I took that ambulance ride, uh, I, I'm, I'm still here. And that could have been a matter of minutes of this infection yeah. being too, too severe in your organs to recover from. Yeah. Uh, and also... My dad died from, from uh, septic shock as well. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, and just, just a few months prior. Yeah. Uh, my dad passed from uh, pulmonary embolisms in the lungs. Hmm. But those were caused by complete renal failure because he had gone septic. So this cascade effect happened uh, and it had been going on for a while. And my wife and I had been battling my dad to try to get him to, you know, go to the hospital, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I finally won and I took him to the, he was insistent on this. It's a really bad hospital here in Vegas, but he was determined and he was having problems breathing. And the, the trauma doctor said oh your father's experiencing uh, dementia go, no no he's not he can't breathe he, he's <sighs> like that he goes well he's faking it for attention no oh my god he's not. and we were there for nine hours and they were giving him the last test uh to release him and i was going to take him to another hospital uh and my wife is the one that saw the numbers on his oxygen levels. And it, his oxygen level was at 80, which is bad. Yeah. Anything below like, like 93 is bad. Yeah. So uh, she stood up because they, they do it in the waiting room at that hospital. They don't take you in the back and stuff. They do it in front of everyone. And my wife jumped up and said, uh-uh, no, look at his oxygen. And the nurse looked over and went, oh, well, I'm going to go ahead and admit you now. Oh, my God. So then they, they took him in the back, and he passed out immediately. We were there for another four, five hours, and they said, you guys can go on home. We, we, we have him. He's going to go up into the ICU. Like, okay. So right when we get home, they call us and say, hey, your father's crashed. You need to get back here. He doesn't have long. So go back there for i don't know how long but they said oh, he, he stabilized you can go home happens and about an hour later i have to go back and this is a 25 mile drive each way uh and had to do that three times in one night 
So my dad crashed four times. And this is all because he went septic from renal failure, which caused the pulmonary embolisms. Mm. And then uh, he got better. It was, and my father, uh, he was a professor of mechanical engineering, extremely smart, did these crazy cool things in life, Uh, built the world's fastest bullet, Uh, worked for the government, Uh, was part of the team that studied Chernobyl, stuff like that. Uh, He has nine textbooks. Uh, My dad was very smart. And at first we thought his cognizant, the the cognizant part was gone, but then we realized his brain was just kind of playing catch up and then he was fine and he was off the ventilator. Uh, He was talking, he was interacting. Uh, He was able to write all sorts of stuff. Uh, Was excited about his great grandson coming soon. And then he just, he crashed out of nowhere and he was awake all the way up until the moment he passed. He could still nod and shake his head. And they tried, they did, they tried to do a 48 hour dialysis and that failed. And he was ventilated again, tied down. Uh, And you know, it's bad. When you walk in and the nurse says, you have to talk to the, the special nurse. Uh, you're like, what? And a nurse comes and says, uh, yeah, we need to talk in private. And you go, oh, shit. I know, I know what's going on now. And I broke down. Um, and then it wasn't, it wasn't long after that. Uh, what's crazy, after my dad passed, his colleagues and friends, not every single one, but a majority of them got really mean and really rude. Uh, I did not hold a service for my father because I know what my dad wanted. My dad's, the only thing he wanted was he wanted his ashes spread where my mom's ashes were spread down in Tucson. That's all he wanted. So, my best friend flew into town. We went down to Tucson and we took care of that. And that that's what that was the right thing. And I have the obituaries and all that. I wrote that. But people were calling saying I wrote the obituary uh, wrong. You didn't know your dad that well. Uh, when are you going to hold a funeral? I'll be in town, blah, blah, blah. So you can do it then. No, that's not no. This, this isn't around your schedule. I'm not doing anything for you. You know, you guys do what you want. I'll do things the way I know my pops wanted. And then on top of that, just why not? Someone stole my dad's identity mm. in February. And to this, as in like two days ago, I'm still getting phone calls about opening up a credit card in my dad's name. This person is trying to do it and they're on their 19th credit card. So you've just had, you know, severe traumas back to back on top of what you were already dealing with, which is your, you know, chronic kidney stone 
issues. So this just feels like pretty unfair. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it feels like what did I do? Like what 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 terrible thing did I do in a previous life? But at the same time, I'm still here. Uh, I have an amazing partner. She really is like truly amazing. Uh, what sucks is she, she was supposed to get a hysterectomy because she has, she's at that age and, and she's in a lot of pain. Uh, and we had to postpone it once because of me. And I feel rotten for that. Uh, also, I mean, it's out of my control. Uh, it's not like I went, oh, diverticulitis, can you give me like four or five months before you act? Up? You know, no. Yeah. So she's suffering right now while taking care of the grandson, like in our family room right now. And I feel rotten about that, but it's out of my control. But I do know all of this is temporary. And that's what gets me through everything is, okay, you know, this colostomy bag, this wound, all this stuff, her, her issues, this is all temporary. We're going to be fine. We're going to be doing fine probably by October. And then we're going to be normalized and back to doing what we were doing probably spring of next year. Once you have this surgery to reconnect your intestines, do you need to do any lifestyle changes now that you know that your diverticulitis is really acting up to the point that it could be fatal? I know you were already on a special diet for that, but is there anything additional that you need to add into your daily regimen? Uh, I have to uh, watch like grease. It's kind of like a kind of like having your your gallbladder removed in a way. I can never have like strawberries or popcorn stuff like that again. Like it, it, there's just no way. Yeah, and it sounds like this has also really changed your attitude around colostomy bags. And yes, I know, you know, when you reached out and told me about what was going on, part of the reason you wanted to come back on the show was to educate our listenership about that because, you know, there's yeah. all sorts of, uh, what's the word? Uh, stigma. There's stigma. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, I mean, cause I had it, I mean, I had it with the colostomy bag until I got home and started like understanding this. Like I, I thought my life was over. Like, this is it. I am never leaving my house again. And I thought anyone who had a colostomy bag, like, you're you're out in public. What's wrong with you? How, why would you do that? You have a bag of your poop. Like, you're disgusting. You know, that that's what my thought was. And every, I, I've been talking to my friends and stuff, getting their opinions. And, of course... I'm the only one everyone now knows has a colostomy bag. I'm the guy. So I've been telling them like, Hey, it's, it's, if this was permanent, you would not know it, uh, in, in a couple of months with me at all. No one would know unless I lifted my shirt and showed, showed it to you. You're not going to smell it. You're not going to see it. There's a, a model, uh, that's getting some traction in the fashion world that has a colostomy bag. And she poses with the bag. It's a permanent colostomy bag. 
and she's in swimsuits and stuff like that. I'm absolutely shocked at how normal of a life you can have with this thing. And it's, man, people need to know, because I know before this, someone said they had a colostomy bag. I, I was like, I, like a complete asshole on my part. And it's because I'd never been exposed. No one had ever spoken to me about this. Yeah. I'd never known anyone that had one, at least, you know, openly had said anything. So I feel it's important that people know, like, hey, if you know someone with a colostomy bag, they're fine. Nothing bad's going to happen. It's not going to stink. It's not going to be the, the worst sounding thing. Like, you'll hear a fart and you just giggle, you know, it's just like being a kid. I mean, farts are funny regardless. <laughs> well, that's an important message to share. I appreciate you, you know, sharing that with us. Well, it sounds yeah. like you've been through so much and it's still not over. You're going to have this other surgery and, and then you're going to start to recover. And this will be something that will be in the rearview mirror. Yeah, the recovery from the robotic surgery is like one week. Wow. Yeah. I, and, and you think about how crazy this is. So I almost die. And it, it's not an exaggeration. It's not, I, I almost die because of my stomach. I get a bag glued to the side of my stomach to help me poop. And I have to heal. And then these little robots reconnect my colon. And then a week later, I'm normal. That's insane. Like, it's it's uh, astounding to see some of this medical stuff come through, but it's also insane uh, how much time it takes because there are screw-ups, constant administrative uh, office screw-ups, and then the money. So one thing I want to point out is that not a lot of people can afford what, what I can afford. And while I was in the hospital, there was a homeless man who had a colostomy and he couldn't afford bags. And he was actually duct taping trash bags to his stomach. Wow. And even worse, an older woman in her eighties, they did not teach her anything. And she started just taping Ziploc bags to her stoma, which is, you don't do that. When everything is said and done, we have so many bags and, and all this we're going to donate all of our medical supplies to homeless shelters and and all that because you don't want to do this on your own and then yet alone you're 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 so destitute that you're duct taping trash bags you can't let a human suffer like that i mean it sounds like this whole thing has been such an intense expense and I'm so glad to hear that it came at a time when you were able to shoulder that expense because, yeah, I mean, otherwise you're in a situation where you can't afford to live. And that's su such a tragic thing that is, you know, happening to so many people right now. Like uh, financially, all these expenses, the, the home nurse is basically $1,500 every week and a half. Yeah. And then... This really expensive toy, $1,300 a month. Like, we know we are lucky. We know that. And that was because of my father. But the average American can't do this. Yeah. And that's not fair at no. all. And it's so messed up. So at some point, 
I want to do something charitable, set up something and try to start helping people in some, some way. Like right now is not the time to start in, you know, doing something. I don't have the energy. I'm always tired, but at some point I want to do something and reach out and try to help people who can't afford this because most people can't. Our, our health bills right now are probably around 3000 a month Yeah, out, out of our, out of our pocket. That's with insurance. People can't afford that. Yeah, I don't know exactly what to do and how to do it, but I'm going to figure it out. And I want to do something and I want to dedicate it to my folks. That That's a big goal. I'll get there. I love that. That's so cool. Well, Eric, I can't believe what you have lived through. I mean, you, you've lived with a lot of intense pain and <laughs> this horrific thing happening on top of that. But you just keep going and keep fighting. And I can hear all the things that you're grateful for inside of all of this um, harrowing story that you've lived through. And I think that's really amazing and so important. And there's been some really great messages in here of things for people to be aware of and to think about. So I'm so glad you reached out. Thank you so much for coming back on the show to share your continued story. Oh, well, thank you for, for having me. I, I, you know, I didn't know if it was, would be of interest uh, cause I just want people to know, uh, the main, the main takeaway is if someone has a colostomy bag, don't treat them any different. Mm. They're, they're, they're fine. They know what they're doing. It's cool. You don't have to cringe and, and like, oh, I can't be friends with them. They have a colostomy bag. It's not like that at all. And I was an asshole and I thought that way until recently, very open and honest about stuff like that. And I know like me, like, if my friends turned away from me because I have a colostomy bag, I would be heartbroken, you know? So yeah, don't, don't sweat. Don't sweat stuff like that to, to everyone. Like don't sweat people who have colostomy bags and stuff like that. It, it is perfectly normal. Yeah. And that sounds say, but it is a very normal routine thing. And if someone has a permanent colostomy bag, they're probably better at dealing with it than the doctors are <laughs> or, or the colostomy nurses. Well, that's a, such an awesome message. And this show is all about spreading awareness and empathy. And that's a great message to share. And, you know, I, I love, I love chatting with people who've been on the show before. It's so fun to catch up again. And, you know, so yeah. interesting to hear how people's stories progress. So Eric, this was awesome. Thank you so much for coming back on the show. Oh, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this episode of Major Pain. I'm Jesse Mercury, your host and the producer of this podcast. Artwork by Egg Salad Salad. Our theme music is the song Time Machine from my sci-fi synth-pop album, available at jessemercury.bandcamp.com. Send your thoughts or questions to our email address, majorpainpodcast at gmail.com. You can also use that address to find us on PayPal. Tips are greatly appreciated. Don't forget to leave a positive rating and review on Apple Podcasts or the podcast platform of your choice. Find more information about this show or leave a comment on any episode at our website, majorpainpodcast.com. Major Pain is supported by listeners on Patreon. 
Thank you to our $2 per month supporters, our $7 per month patrons, Naomi Adele Smith, Sunny Roberts, Laura Stevens, Kelsey Madsen, All Around Foundation Waterproofing, Danielle Signorelli, Alexandria Henderson, Justin Minnick, Heather Muncy, and Robert, and our $25 per month producers, Steve Cavanaugh, Chris Fowler, Ensign Q, Trish O'Brien, and Hipster Leia. Learn how you can support the show while receiving special recognition, gifts, and monthly bonus episodes at patreon.com slash majorpainpodcast.